welcome back, everyone. It's a uh, it's a crazy world we're living in, but somehow, somewhere, Rian and I are going to keep up the podcast. We're going to keep talking football, and we're going to keep bringing you our thoughts on things. But the last two weeks have just been absolutely crazy for not just us, just for the world in general. Um, from the world of sport completely stopping to God. Our, our lives entirely changing what felt like overnight. Um, I can't even believe that just over a week ago, you know, Champions League knockout round stages were being played. Um, and 10 days later, essentially, it's the, the world feels like it's shut down. So we're we're trying to stay positive and we wanted to bring you guys, you know, a kind of a special edition of the podcast to talk a little bit about what our I guess team of the year so far would be in both Spain and England. It's not really complete team of the year because the year hasn't necessarily been completed, but I don't know. Yeah. Rian, I mean, we've talked on and off, but how, how you've been coping with everything? I've been trying to cope with with stuff, I guess it's, it's um, obviously one of the weirdest or the weirdest time in our lives so far. (laughs) Um, Just, like you said, the world coming basically to a halt. Um, I, I'm still here in New York. Uh, Elias here back home, and uh, starting tonight at starting at eight o'clock, all non-essential service workers are being mandated to, uh, at least in New York, all non-essential service workers are being mandated to stay home and not go into work. Uh, and who knows how long that'll be going on? Um, it, it's. I know, I know one of the things we jo- we joked about was uh, was you know obviously the barber shop being closed <laughs> for the next. <laughs> did you see my tweet about that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, it's, it's that. I mean, that's uh, that. I was literally thinking today, like, shit. I'm in the middle of when I'm in this like weird point with my haircut where I got it cut last Friday, and usually I'll go anywhere between every two and three weeks. And so now mm-hmm. I'm in right in the middle now, and now knowing that <laughs> we're probably going to be in some form of like, you know, um, lockdown for I, what feels like probably realistically another month. Um, so, so that's just personal, small little personal things like that, that, that you took for granted. Um, but, but, on a, but I mean, obviously on a, on a more macro level, like it's, it's a tragedy. So it's, it's, it's very hard. I don't, um, all we can do is kind of try to keep sane, um, find ways to keep sane. I, I realize now that this is definitely the time where yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy that we started doing this because this is definitely <laughs> a time for hobbies. Like any sort of hobby you might have, yeah. this is absolutely the time to, you know, play with that as much as you can really. Um, and yesterday was just so weird here in the city because it was a beautiful day. It, w- it wasn't extremely like warm or anything. It was like low fifties, mid fifties, but so sunny. And they actually like just finished up some construction on the park that is right next door to my apartment. And it looks beautiful. And, um, and there were people just outside, not not that people were like crowding together, but there there were a lot of benches and stuff. So people were keeping their distance and stuff. But it was like a beautiful day. But then you're thinking about the backdrop of it. It's this eerie, 
kind of thing where it's like we're all like it's so nice out but you can't actually fully take advantage of this so just stuff like that it's it's a weird time trying to trying to kind of take it all in and trying to remember what this feels like as much as i can because it never probably never gonna have to i hopefully will never have to um <laughs> experience something like this again yeah i mean it is it is truly uh this is genuinely life-changing it's not you know over dramatization if you will um this is serious like a very serious situation and i hope that everyone that is listening is taking this very seriously um social distancing is key um keep yourself and your loved ones safe obviously and and listen to the right people um now more than ever and so we hope that you all are staying safe and and staying you know huddled together with your family um and if you're isolated with friends um just as well um, but yeah, we are going to be talking about the team of the year starting off in England this time around, uh, focusing on the Premier League. Rian has spent diligently the last week putting this idea and, and his starting 11 from this past season specifically for the Premier League. Um, Rian, I know you want to start with a goalkeeper, and I don't think there's an obvious choice but I have a feeling you're going to try and convince me there's an obvious choice and somehow I'm still going to end up disagreeing with you. Oh, uh, that seems to be how it goes usually with us anyway. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, but even before that, I think do want to give a slight update on the Premier League just going forward um, with you know what's going on in England and what's going on in Europe in general relating to coronavirus is that the Premier League is – Shooting for a restart in June, and I know that we saw last week that UEFA came out and said for all of Europe, really, that the plan is they're committing to trying to finish by the end of June. Um, the Premier League said a little differently. They, they said, just said they're committing to finishing the season, um, and they're trying to come back in June. I just don't I, – I personally – I'm finding it very hard to see the pathway to finishing any European season by the end of June. And that would include having to finish still the FA Cup. There's still the Europa League. There's still the Champions League. I mean, I don't, I, so before we even start with my team of the year, it's just a quick question. Like, what do you think are the odds of any European season, let's say first, anything ending by the end of June, one. And two, what are the odds or what do you think is the possibility that these seasons just end up, it ends up getting to a point where they realize that we actually won't be able to finish this by like the end of August or like we won't be able to finish this by middle of August or something like that. Um, And and we're going to have to cancel it because... I know I'm just thinking when when I saw that report from or that decision from UEFA and then also looking at what's going on in Italy, where it's now a full blown um, national tragedy there for, for um, because of coronavirus. I'm just thinking, at least in Italy's sense, how in the hell are they going to start? Are they going to feel comfortable enough starting a season or re- resuming a season even by June, like I, I'm, unless things drastically change, 
honestly, here here's the thing, right? Like you need in order if I if I'm UEFA, you need to feel comfortable that allowing these games to go on means that you're allowing or you're comfortable with people being in close proximity, close contact, going essentially back to the way the world was about two months ago, right? Like that has to be the norm again. And from what we've been reading from what health experts have publicly been stating is that there is no way that may even be possible until end of the summer, essentially, Um, like complete, you know, sort of back to normal routine. And so if you start these leagues back up in say the end of July, like for just throwing that out there, that doesn't at all give you any time for a summer break, let alone time to finish the competition. Even like right now in La Liga, their goal is to be back by I think mid uh, April, beginning of April timeframe, which is absolutely not going to happen because it's, you know, the coronavirus cases are absolutely spiking in Spain right now. And so I don't see a foreseeable future in which these leagues actually finish, which really sucks for Liverpool. Quite frankly, I don't know what the Premier League's decision is going to be with this. Um, but I, yeah, I, I genuinely don't see a way around it I, I, where you can confidently say that the lease will be finished by August. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know what they'll do. Obviously, the cleanest thing would be for them to be able to finish the season, but you know. I even read something that the Premier League thinks that they can start back in June and then also start the next season in like the same times they usually do, which is which the Premier League already starts um, earlier than other leagues. So I don't. I mean, is the plan to not give any sort of off season and then also the quality of play that'll happen when these players come back? Like you're talking about. Um, basically a, the, the time they would have off in the summer, but without any of, I'm not going to say without any of the training that they could still do, obviously they could still run and whatever, right. And do some individual players can do individual training and stuff, but you're talking about without any of the preseason that is necessary to, uh, to actually have players be fit for, for starting um, and playing 90 minutes. And and it's just I think it gets even more complicated. I just think it gets more complicated if they try to keep playing the season past June, and I and yeah. and I don't think they will be able to finish any season by the end of June. So I know my personal opinion. I I think it's 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 for England at least. I think things would have been very clean would have been like clean enough to just say standings where they are. This is, this is it. Liverpool has a league title where everyone is in their standings right now. We're keeping that's, that is what the final standings will be for this season, but they have a problem because an Aston Villa who sitting in 18th has played one less game than um, the team playing the team who's in 17th. So for them to be able to, possibly get out of relegation zone they played one less game and they're tied on points so so that has become a massive complication and that's i mean it's the i think the relegation spots are probably the biggest hurdle in in terms of 
anyone in terms of anyone um going with the stop the season or don't play the rest of the season argument but i i just don't see how i just don't see how contracts like even like managers who contracts are running out or managers who may have been on the brink of being fired managers like a Pochettino, how is he going to come in and start how is he going to come in and take a job from a team if the season ends in like third week of july and then the next season starts three <laughs> weeks later like that's like that doesn't make for him that would make zero sense Right? Yeah, and so, he already needs his time for you know getting transfers in anyway because it takes him forever. Exa- so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't know. I, I honestly think there are more complications with trying to play the season past June. So, I, I mean, I, I at some point I think there, we just have to concede that this was a natural disaster that we could not have seen coming. Like if if a nuclear war started, we wouldn't we wouldn't suspend the season and say, all right, well, when the war's over, we're coming back and we're going to try to finish the season. <laughs> like, like what? Are, like this is just you. You have to. I think they. I think they. I don't think they can actually, unless they want to just completely change the calendar of football of, of their sport forever. Then they can't try to finish they, they won't they, they just have to concede at some point they won't be able to finish this season if they realize it, it'll go past june yeah then the question essentially becomes do you crown whoever is first um champions and do you relegate who is in the bottom three already or do you essentially consider this whole season null and void it's really really difficult to i don't i don't know i really don't know what you do i would not want to be in the fa's position and i would not want to be in in La Liga's position right now. Yeah. I mean, ultimately there's no, there's no easy way. There's no, there's no right decision. Yeah. I mean, and anything, anything that happens now is going to be very complicated. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward, but strange times, like we said. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. But do you want to try and get through the weird times and talk a little bit football, see what we can come up with and see if people disagree with you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, like you said before, I rudely interrupted you <laughs> earlier. Um, <laughs> for for the Premier League's team of the year, we're starting with the goalkeepers first. And just in general, for for me, um, obviously, I, I'm not sure. I don't know yet what Ellis has processed yet, so that so that'll be a surprise to me too. So, um, but for me, a lot of my uh, research and decisions went into using the various stat sources that I ha- that uh, I can find through the internet. Like, obviously, we've talked uh, before about. Um, understat.com which has a lot of the expected goals stats um another one that i used was whoscored.com which is more of a, a has a rating system a game to game rating system i'm sure there are many other websites that have the same and um but they have a, a lot of other stats too which i try to fill the gaps in using using uh that source as well and then also uh, footballreference.com which is very similar has a lot of the same stats as understat but um but a little more detailed so those are the three main sources i use and obviously you have the eye test too which is which is 
always the most reliable way. <laughs> but but uh, for goalkeepers, it's pretty easy, honestly. Elias, I think there is an obvious choice, but I do want to also use this time to shine a light on other players too, who have also had great seasons. So in the goalkeeping position, I well, mean, in, in it, every position, it'll be in every position, but, but let's start with the goalkeepers. I, I think this is very obvious. Yes. Very obvious. Um, Kepa Aruta Balaga. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 no, uh, no, no, I can't, no. I can't wait till Peter hears this. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but no, it's it's Allison from Liverpool. Um, Allison Becker, who, him along with the Liverpool backline, outstanding this season. And we saw in the time that he was out, um, he's been at, well, he's had to be at, be out twice for for uh, Liverpool this season at different times of the season, but we saw the difference in that team when he's out. Um, I mean, I think a few teams definitely benefited from it, including Atletico Madrid. I'm sure they would have they were pretty happy not to see Allison <laughs> Becker in goal for especially in that second leg. Um, he, he was fantastic this season, though. You're, you're, looking, you're looking at a guy who was second in clean sheets with 10, had the highest clean sheet percentage of any goalkeeper, 50% of his games being clean sheets. Uh, you also have him leading the league in goals allowed per 90, which, you know, obviously with this, you have to take into account a lot from the defenders, too. It's just a whole concerted effort between the back line and, and the goalkeeper, so... I try to kind of lean on more overall defending stats for both for picking the goalkeepers and the uh, you know center backs and well, mostly the center backs, left backs and right backs. I will get on to more, but for the for this, like, you're looking at the best defending team in the league in terms of goals allowed. Um, you're looking at a goalkeeper who had the highest save percentage at 80.4. And at the same time, he's still sitting there with, um, you know, the team who's 20, 25 points, 25 points ahead. Like it's, 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 uh, it's been a fantastic season from Allison Becker and he's established himself as, yeah, arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, I, I think it's between him and, and Oblock, but but you know, I, and and obviously I know Elise. You will you will throw Inter Stegen there too. Also, also, I mean, you should too. Easily, but I'm glad easily that you top. No, no, no. Easily, easily, you know, he should be in that argument as well. But um, but yeah, Allison Becker, best keeper in England. I, I think that's an easy choice for for team of the year for the goalkeeper. But I do have to give you have to give some. Um, Honorable mentions too. I think it really came down to, for me, it came down to between Allison and uh, and Casper Schmeichel and Dean Henderson. I think those were the those were the three. I think finalists for me, uh, and just to show, throw some love on Casper Schmeichel here, he finished third in goals allowed per ninety. He was sitting at second in save percentage. 
and third in clean sheets. He had the same amount of clean sheets as Allison, but obviously he wasn't injured, so he played played in more games. Um, you know, he, he kind of was the goalkeeper of one of the best of another one of the best uh, defenses in the league. So you have to give him credit there too. Uh, Lester still sitting in. I mean. To be in third from where they may have thought their season would have gone, I mean, he's a big, big reason for that. And you're talking about a Premier League winning goalkeeper there, too. So um, Kasper Schmeichel has to get some love. And Dean Henderson, too, from Sheffield United, who may or may not end up being Manchester United's goalkeeper next season, depending on what happens with De Gea. But he's he's absolutely had a better season than David De Gea. Uh, he's also sitting top five in goals allowed per 90 in safe percentage in clean sheets and you know he, he's and Sheffield has also been one of the one of the top five um defending teams in the in the league so I I think you just have to give some honorable mentions there but I but I think Allison is a pretty easy choice how about you Elias yeah I'm not going to disagree with you in the slightest I mean I'll probably disagree with you in other areas but I think Allison is the very very obvious choice for me Absolutely a top three goalkeeper in the world, let alone the Premier League, um, has had an absolutely outstanding season when he's obviously been on the pitch um, and keeping Liverpool in games, especially when they seem like the rest of the starting 11 is not up for it. And I think that's kind of not necessarily the mark of a great goalkeeper, um, but adds that level of consistency to the argument and Allison does that pretty much every time that Liverpool are on the pitch. So, yeah, no, I think that's a very fair choice. All right. Well, with that, should we move on to the center backs? Please enlighten me. Of course, of course. I Again, I think at least one of these choices at center back will be pretty straightforward, right? Um, Virgil van Dijk, the best center back in the world uh, for the last – Two years, I say. I'd say pretty solidly. Uh, the last two years, you can say two and a half years or whatever. But since he's come to Liverpool, he's looked like the best center back in the world, and he's by far been the best center back in England. And that's an easy choice there. Um, now, the tough part here for me was the second center back, really, and. So I sent out – we have a little group chat of um, of some friends who are all pretty avid soccer fans. And you know, before this podcast, I was sending out basically the f- nominees that I had for each position that I was picking for this team of the year. And with that, you know, Elias, I'll start with you and then I'm going to announce the results from, from uh, the little poll that I put out into our group chat. But – Elias, who did you go with for your second center back? Yeah, see, when you sent this this poll out, um, between, I mean, you did it for midfielders and you did it for attackers, right? The most difficult part that I had with all of them um, was absolutely the the back line. So for me, I personally ended up going with um, Johnny Evans from Leicester. I know. I know who you will probably go with based on our conversations for the last several months. Um, but I think he in particular has kept Lester together um, in the absence of Harry Maguire now. And that I think is even 
more difficult than what Harry Maguire has had to do going to Manchester United um, because Leicester aren't necessarily a star-studded team, but they're a good, compact team. Um, and they're one of their biggest qualities is being able to play very well together, right? They gel very well together based on the profile of players. And Johnny Evans, I think, being a leader in that team now, um, has stepped up into the mantle or into that void that Harry Maguire um, kind of created when he left and has essentially embraced the role and stepped up into um, the higher le- you know, quality uh, necessary to perform that role. And so I personally gave it to Johnny Evans, but I know, I know who you're going to give it to. Uh, I think you do. And I, with that being said, though, I, I do agree with you that I actually think Johnny Evans more than Soyuncu has would have been, you know, I would have chosen Evans over Soyuncu if that was my two choices in terms of Leicester's center back, the, I, who I think has been the best center back for Leicester this season. Um, and I think a lot of that actually might be from, from watching the games that he's played against some of the best teams in the league, or at least the other top five, six teams in the league. I thought Evans, even at his age, is still quality, quality player. It's, it's hilarious that um, last, either it was last summer or maybe 18 months ago that, you know, he was being heavily considered by Manchester City to bring in. And, you know, you just think about if they even had him, during this, during the time that Laporte was out, like I mean, not not saying that Evans is a is a bad player or or like a mediocre player, but he he would have been their best center back easily while while Laporte was out. So, oh know, for sure, even yeah, even at his age, he would have been the oldest one, but he would have been the best still. So <laughs> the age at that point for them didn't matter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But with that being said, my second center back was. Harry Maguire is that that's who you thought right wow shocking no who'd you think I thought it was gonna be Harry Maguire (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, I mean okay so this might seem super like off base just because we I know I realize how kind of up and down Manchester United have been this season And, and even throughout all of that I have been beating the drum that their defending is not actually statistically the defending actually is not bad. Okay, and whether that's oh my god, whether that, I I still I'm standing by that. I'm I guess I will die on that shit on that hill if if need be. But I think <laughs> you're dead already. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, again, the stats would tell me that I'm not. <laughs> but oh my god, but. Um, no, they've been, I still think they've been one of the best defending teams, and I've got everything to back it up. You're looking at a team who is sitting fourth in fewest shots allowed per game, right? The the top five goes Manchester City, second Chelsea. That will also that also very much shocked me. But third Liverpool, fourth Manchester United, fifth Leicester. So top five in fewest shots allowed per game, Manchester United. Top five in expected goals allowed. Manchester United sitting in third there. And then you're looking at top five in passes allowed in the final 20, in the final third, in your defending final third, Manchester United sitting in fourth there. 
they are genuinely a good defending team. A team defensively who is solid. They may not be necessarily solid on their fullback in their fullback areas. You know, they may not. Other than Juan Basaka, who I do think defensively is a, is a very good, very good fullback. But you know, Maguire is by is definitely the leader of their back line. He has come in with a lot of pressure and. Granted, it doesn't take a lot to be Manchester United's head and shoulders best defender in this current Manchester United team, but <laughs> but he has taken on that role of leadership, and there are actual results there in terms of how the team defends or how the team effectively defends. So for me, I think he's been the second best center back in the league. Um, uh, in our poll, the... Leading vote-getters were, in this order, Van Dyke, and then a tie between uh, Soyuncu at Leicester and Joe Gomez at Liverpool, who, you know, I had to throw him in as a nominee because, again, like, Liverpool's defending has been so good this season. So, and he's been, um, well, outside of Matip, who once he got, got injured and then came back and kind of lost his job to Joe Gomez. Like, Joe Gomez took the job from him, so... Uh, you have to give a lot of credit there. I thought that go. I think that Gomez has looked good, especially I'd say the last. Well, especially since since Matip got injured, I'd say, um, and and I think that's their center back pairing going forward. That's their that's is Van Dyke and Gomez. So, you know, he he had to get thrown in too as, as an honorable mention for me. But overall, Maguire, I think I think he's been the best, the second best center back in the league, and I think that. He's the only reason that Manchester United are able to defend um, effectively. And, and even in, in who scored in the top ratings for center backs on whoscored.com, he's sitting second behind uh, Virgil van Dijk. So I think there's enough there. Um, and even one more, he's second in key passes per game for a center, for center backs in England, you know, and, I think we've talked about this before, but a key pass is you know a pass that leads to a shot. You know, so he, that's not something that you expect from center backs very much. So obviously their numbers are not very high, but but even so, he's he's sitting tied for a second. So I, I think he's I mean <laughs> when you're. When your midfield consists of uh, a Make a Wish Foundation player and two other bozos, yeah, you're going to have to take up that role so i'll leave it at that okay this is not this is not supposed to be a conversation about manchester united's attack okay but <laughs> <laughs> he can't do much about that but um yeah i think I, I i was vindicated in my research and i'm staying by the fact that i think he's he's been the second best defender or second best center back in in england all right Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll let you have that one, even though I, like I said, we will certainly disagree more than once. Um, but let's complete the back line then and focus on the fullbacks, um, which, at least to me, seems like two obvious choices. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case this season. I, I guess, what are your thoughts on the fullbacks for a team of the year? Yeah, I think. It feels like it should be very obvious, uh, and and my choices are the obvious choices. I will say that, 
but no way to ruin the surprise. But, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, I gotta, I, I, I want to show love to everyone else before I get to that. The, the two, the two <laughs> obvious choices. So, you know, even so there were other really, really good candidates or at least one other good candidate, I think for one of these fullback spots, which is Ricardo Pereira at Leicester. Um, who topped and who scored ratings for for um, right backs and left backs this season? But at the same time, he's a, you know he's been a great great revelation for not only uh, Leicester but I think for a lot of teams now. And and I think he'd be one of the guys that you think probably is not on Leicester. Um, next season whenever that comes whenever next season comes um but i i think he's been really good for lesser and you know his dribbling and ability to push the ball forward and and even dribbling through the midfield i've seen him do you know multiple times um this season in in games you know he's kind of a driving force for them especially with the fact that as the season went on um Ben Chilwell, I thought, got worse for Leicester and and starts with like more of a liability, which means he's going to fit in perfectly at Chelsea uh, at some point in the future. And Pereira just re- really, I, I think, shown more and more as the season went on, and, and um, he has to get some love. He has to definitely, definitely get some love. You're looking at a guy who's. Like I said, first and who scored ratings uh, for for fullbacks, and then he's hitting uh, sixth here for expected goals and assists and expected assists per ninety, uh, and seventh in uh, key passes, and then he's also sitting um, at, in in the back line of once again one of the one of the five best defending teams in the league. So he's got to get some credit for sure. Um, also needs to show some love to Luca Dean at, at Everton, who again, attacking wise has been great. He, he's uh, yeah, obviously a, a bit of a liability defending defensively, but yeah, he also was just fantastic. Second in key passes for fullbacks, um, sitting in fourth in expected goals plus expected assists per 90 and sixth in, in who scores uh, ratings. So I I thought he was also fantastic. Uh, He's also been fantastic uh, for Everton and a a definite bright light. And one of the few times that Everton actually makes a, a signing at a pretty decent price. And then, and the players, um, definitely overachieving I think what their initial expectations were from him and he's shown it through different managers being there too which I think is always a good kind of um marker for how good a player individually is yeah I mean it's funny that you bring that up because I actually completely forgot that Everton are coached by Carlo Ancelotti um, I think that completely is forgotten sometimes. Um, but yeah, Luca Digne has been a great signing for them. Um, and he continues to shine in what seems to be a, you know, consistently deflating team. 
Oh yeah, yeah. But they, they you know they they brought it back a little bit. It, it sucks that their last their last game was the four no loss to Chelsea because they kind of turned a corner in terms of just optimism. Um, but then, like I like I had said in our last episode, they you know very nicely re- reverted the clock back to Marco Silva um, t- last days of Marco Silva. So uh, that, that was tough that that, that they're that potentially that's the last game that their fans have gotten to see of them for this season. But on to the obvious choices and no choices more obvious than Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has been head and shoulders, the best fullback in the league. Um, granted, yes, he's second in those who scored ratings, you know, <laughs> but um, he's, First in expected goals plus assists per 90. First in key passes. First in um, assists. First in expected assists. These are all four, um, four fullbacks. But, you know, he's just – he's transcending the position, really. I, I, I don't think – that is an overreaction whatsoever when you watch him play. He is transcending the position in a different way, in a different way than, than um, you know, we, we'd say that Jordi Alba and Danny Alves transcended the, the fullback position, but they did it in, in a different way. You know, Alexander Arnold yeah. is doing it in a different way. I'm not, not saying that he's doing it in a better way, but just a different way. And, and, and it's, um, and it's, it's really, we're, I think we're very lucky to be able to watch him especially at his age too, because he can only get better and who knows what position he might be playing in, in five years, you know? So um, while he's still at fullback, this is, this is really amazing to watch. Um, And so he's the obvious choice for one of the fullback positions. And then the other one is um, Andrew Robertson, who has also been fantastic for, for Liverpool this season, third in key passes. He's hitting second in expected assists for, for fullbacks, um, second in expected goals plus expected assists per ninety. You know, he, and he and Alexander Arnold, just as a team, are for fullbacks. You know, they are involved in more goals than any other tandem in the world. So it, it's it's very difficult to not pick those two as as once again team of the year um, starters on the on the fullbacks. So basically what you're telling me is that these two are the easiest choices that you had to make, and it's not going to get any easier. Like, I agree with the choices. I'm not going to disagree with you, but did it, what, did it take you like five minutes to put that together? And you were like, okay, let me collect these stats, and I'm just going to choose these two because it's an obvious choice? Um, well, the thing was – I. I had names in my mind before I was before I was doing the research and stuff, and then I was, and then if something that I saw in the research come really surprised me and and really kind of made me step back and rethink what my initial picks would have been, then I would you know really heavily consider changing it. But these were the two that I was that I was gonna pick going in, and then you know everything kind of once again vindicated by by what by what came up in this, in the research there. But, um, from our responses to, to our, to the poll that I sent out in our group, these were the obvious two leading goal, get goal, uh, vote getters. And then third was Aaron Juan Basaka, who, like I said, been fantastic defensively. It's, it's 
the other side of his game, which is now just demanded more from from fullbacks that we want to see him kind of push on and, and improve in and and you know he he's a better defender than than either Alexander Arnold or Robertson or, or Pereira or, or obviously Luka Dean. Um yeah, so so I think he's got a lot of I think where Juan Basaka's got a lot of uh room to grow as a player, but he's got I think he's got the hardest part or well Actually, defending should really be the easiest part when I think about it. It's much harder to play the balls that Trent Alexander-Arnold plays than to uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than to slide tackle everyone. Everyone, but um, yeah, that that was that was something of note too. That Juan Basaka got some got some votes too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I actually ended up voting for him in that poll just because I want to diversify the voting a little bit. Um, and I, I agree. I think he's had a standout season. I think there's a lot more to be expected of him next season. And I think the biggest shift or the biggest difficulty that a lot of players have in the Premier League is going from that first season, especially if they do really well, to a second season where they have to keep up that you know level of consistency. That's way more difficult than coming in and proving yourself because you're hungry. You have that desire, which obviously continues. But being able to keep up that level, that's something that a lot of players have failed to do so. I'm very curious to see how he does next season more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, he's still a very young player, so he, it's not like he's a finished product yet. So. For sure. Well, you want to move on to your midfield trio who uh, I actually don't know who you're going to pick for this. I have my votes, but I don't know who you're going to pick for this. Yeah. So uh, this was a tough one. Um, so I, for me, two of the three spots were not completely obvious. One of them I, I was pretty obvious, I think, for most people. And, and in all of the responses that I got to our to the poll I sent out, you know, one player in particular was in everyone's team. Um, it's the third spot that really that I really had to wrestle with. Um, and I'll get to the reasons why I why I I had to wrestle with it and kind of ultimately what swung me. But I'll start with the first two. Um, I thought my first two midfielders of those three is Wilfred Ndidi and Kevin De Bruyne. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm at least I I would like to hear if you also had those two players. Yep. I had okay. those exact two yeah. players. I'm not even. Yeah, you continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think, I think it's very also easy to see how much Leicester missed Wilfred and Didi, especially during the last month, it's a month and a half that he'd been out. Is when you really start to see them kind of slide, and you know they lost control of the midfield, which was their which was their strength for the entire first half of the season. Um, Wilfred Ndidi sitting second in, in who scores ratings for center central midfield. Um, at the same time, he's first in tackles per game at center mid. And with that as well, he, he had 4.4 tackles per game. Second was Declan Rice at three. And even with that, Ndidi... Four and a half tackles, four point four tackles per game, but he only got dribbled past one and a half times, right? And and as I look down this list of top ten in terms of tackles per game, 
not everyone can boast that same rate there. You know, uh, J- uh, Jao Moutinho was sitting third with tackles per game at, at 2.8, but he got dribbled past three times per game. So I'm kind of a net negative. <laughs> That's not actually that great when you think about Context it. Context matters. Yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of shit going on around him, and he's a, and he's just like plugging, <laughs> trying to plug holes, but he's still getting dribble pass. So, you know, that's just an example of you even having even being in this top ten. That's great, but if you're still getting played through, it's not it's not that helpful for the team, um, right? But but Indeedy also sitting first in interceptions per game too at at two point nine. And uh, second was Etienne Capu at two point five. So, indeed, the only guy who could who was sitting at four tackles per game and three interceptions per game. Like that's if you're the only player in the league doing that, and your position is holding mid. Like that's then that's fantastic. Like that's that deserves that deserves um, merit. That deserves rec- like high recognition. And um, I hope that whenever the real team of the real PFA team of the year or the writers team of the year for England comes out that he is included in it. Um, the second obvious choice for the best midfielder who I believe is the best midfielder in the world. And I, and I think many would agree with that. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. And for this is where the, my classifications of central midfielders and as we'll see when we go on to forwards, I kind of put in forward or uh, strikers and attacking mids into the same group because my formation for our team of the for the team of the year is a four three three. So for center mids, that was for that. I there's no easy way to do this because formations are so fluid. Um, anyone can start at like a holding midfield position. But once the game actually starts, you know, there are players who have different instructions. So they might be able to roam and and go up to the 10 spot um, when, when the team has the ball and maybe drop back if they don't have or something like that. Right. So it's not easy to classify the central midfield area, but you know, I, I just tried to use who scored.com's kind of positional game logs and just for De Bruyne for most of his starts came from the center of mid came from the center of midfield you know as we know he would always push forward but that's where he started games so I kept him in that in that area and whether he was there or in the attacking mid category he would have been in this team because he has the highest who scored rating um for any player in the entire league so not just not just midfielders uh and then you're looking at someone who's first in expected goals plus assists per 90 he's sitting in first at 0.83 second place is Deli Ali at 0.59 so you know he's there's no one's even close <laughs> no one's even, no wow. one's even close yeah. To, he's he, yeah he like you're just you're you're talking about someone who's actually creating he's creating a chance a goal scoring chance a legitimately very good goal scoring chance know once at least once a game right and it's he's amazing like we like i I don't know how much more we need to say about him but all the stats back it up um he's first first in shots per game too for for center mids he's first in expected assists per 90 first in key passes per game 
this is one of the best players in the world. So this is an extremely, extremely easy choice. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I'm not going to even add much to that because you said everything I would have said. So, yeah, I, I completely agree that he is the obvious choice to, to be in the team of the year, regardless of the fact that City are in second place well behind Liverpool. His individual performance has almost single-handedly led to City picking up more points than dropping, right? He can't defend and attack simultaneously, um, but at sometimes it feels like he can. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that this is even discussion, quite frankly. I'm, I'm way more interested to hear your, your third place um, third place choice because I knew KDB would be in there. Yeah, and so for the third choice, that's where I'm going to start with you, Elias. I'm going to start with you, Elias. What was your third? Who's your third midfielder? And then two, I will also say what the results were in the poll, in our uh, group meets poll. So my third choice, I, I picked, um, like I said, Kevin De Bruyne and Wilfred Didi. My third choice was, in fact, Jordan Henderson. And I don't know if that's going to be a very mainstream, if you will, decision. Um, but what, I, I think that or that saying um, that you don't fully understand the value of someone or something until it's gone rings so true here. Because when Jordan Henderson has not been in this Liverpool team, you have directly seen the ability for them to progress the ball into their front three. Like it is, it is a complete night and day and he makes all that difference. And when he is on the pitch, it is absolutely incredible to, to see how much he actually helps the flow of the team. He himself may not be the most individually talented player in the world, but the way that Klopp has this team set up to be so direct suits his playing style so well. And he's shined in that throughout the entire season. So I had to give that third spot to him. Well, Elias, we have fully agreed on all three of those players. I also oh went with God, Jordan Henderson. No. Yeah. Yeah. And and even in, in our poll too, Jordan Henderson was the second highest vote getter. So it went De Bruyne, um, Henderson, and then a tie between Wilfred and Didi and James Madison for that third spot. Um I went with Henderson. I think a lot of the same reasons as you did. You know, we we saw. I mean, obviously, outside of the Atletico Madrid game, but but I think even we could look back on that game and say that they, if they had a competent keeper in there, that they they probably would have been able to hold that that two that two goal lead. Um, but <laughs> but you know, we we saw um, we saw in the Premier League games that it just seemed like something was missing from that midfield without Henderson in it. Um, and really what it came down for me, it was really hard for me to choose him because like you said, this was one of those where I, again, I went in knowing who my first two, knowing who I thought I was going to pick for my first two. And, and again, those were, just made more obvious through research. And then I knew my third choice was always going to, was always going to be the toughest one. And I think 
prior to this, I was li- maybe I was probably leaning towards someone like a Fabinho or Henderson, right? And I think what ultimately came down to me was he's the captain of a team who's on pace to break the league's points record, a team that was 25 points ahead of a second place team who we had just seen the last two years pick up a combined total of 198 points in two seasons. And he is the emotional leader of this team. And I think at this point, like when I looked through my stats, he like he didn't really come up in almost any of them, right? In, in almost any of these top tens, right? Other than other than who scores rating, he he's actually sixth in that. But even in tackles and in interceptions, like he didn't come up in really any of these. But for me, it came down to you know you have to at some point you have to reward an accomplishment, right? And and it's not like it's not like he was a peripheral kind of player on this team. He was a very important player and he deserves, he deserves a credit. He deserves a credit. I think ultimately it was, it was a, you know, he deserves to be in this team of the year because he's one of the leaders on one of the best premier league teams we've ever seen, at least points wise. So um, I, I, I think it was, it came down to more of an emotional than than I think kind of you know statistical decision for me and i i I feel good about it I feel good about about putting him in there and and i and I think he deserves this recognition for when we when we're in the future and we look back on this season I, I think it would feel like more of an injustice not to have him in the team. Than having him in, I think if we look back on this, yeah. we'll be very, we'll be very much like, okay, that makes sense. That team was destroying everyone. Like he, their captain should be in the team. Like he, so should be should be in a in a team of the year. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's I think you you just touched on it. The key point is that we would probably feel more injustice if he was not in there than if he was. So and and I think that in of itself almost proves proves the case that he should be in there. Uh, when you're comparing him with other people, whether it's on the list or other Premier League midfielders, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, my obviously like Fabinho would have been, like I said, one of my other choices. I'm looking at guys like James Madison, um, looking at, you know, someone in our, in our group put David Silva. I, I did nominate David Silva because, you know, even – even at his age, he, he was still still very very good for Manchester City this year. Um, he was sitting fifth in fifth in shots per game, um, and he's sitting fourth in key passes per game. Uh, and you know he's he's one of he's still this is his final season with Manchester City, which you know also thinking about how this season might end abruptly, the fact that he might not get a full send off a, a proper send off from a club that he's been so yeah. integral in changing the culture or changing the reputation of um i think that'll be kind of pretty sad for for not just for for him and and any manchester city supporter and and also any premier league supporter too because he's going to be leaving the premier league so it's like it's, it's that that's unfortunate you know stuff like that is unfortunate he won't be able to get a true send-off if if the season isn't completed but um yeah ultimately it's just you know to, to 
this this I think there's not really an argument for who should be put in over Henderson. Um, so I'm 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 good with that, and and uh, I feel good about about that three there. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fine. Do you want to wrap up England with focus on the attacking three? Yes, sir. Um, so the attacking three, another one where everything again seems it seems like this should be the front three. Just you know, if, if you knew almost. If you didn't watch, like, like if you watched very few games, like this three, plus knowing you know the goal scoring leaders and and everything else, like this three makes perfect sense. And 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 it's and I think for the one that I chose, I think it's another one where it's like, you know, we look back, you look at the end of year stats and stuff. It, it's not going to be like a massive argument there, but. Um, for my front three, I went with Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, and Jamie Vardy. Elias, did you have any sort of um, discrepancies there with with what you might have uh, filled out in the in the poll I sent out? I don't hate your list, but I did disagree. I did put Jamie Vardy, um, and I did put Sadio Mane. So I guess two of the three are are right. Um, but I also put in Sergio Aguero. Um, I know this hasn't necessarily been maybe his personal best season, but when it comes to his relevancy and his contribution to City's overall performance, um, if you take Aguero out of the starting lineup um, in you know on a consistent basis, not like a insert Gabriel Jesus in Real Madrid type basis, if you take him out consistently, you lose a lot. And I think City could be in a potentially way worse situation right than they are right now in being second in the league. So I put Sergio Aguero for his importance for Manchester City, his overall goal contribution, um, and his ability as a number nine to control the ball like no other player I think in the Premier League can, um, both from a standing position, from a fluid, dynamic, moving position. I, I think he's done it all for years and it's not even close. Yeah, that's you know that was the tough thing too. I I felt I think Mane was one that I was always going to feel very good about. Um, and then Vardy Vardy just make it just makes sense because this is a leading goal scorer in the league, so it, it's it just makes sense. Um, even if you may not think he's you know technically the best. Um, or the technically the most talented striker in in uh the in the Premier League but you know 19 goals 19 goals um is nothing to uh poo poo at really you know he's le- leading the league by by two I grant it's only two goals um Aubameyang sitting in second but um the Salah thing I th- is where is where we obviously disagree and I think I was going into it thinking I wasn't going to put Mo Salah in my team, actually. But what changed for me is I think I didn't even realize that he was third in goals <laughs> for, for, for the season. <laughs> um, granted, he, he's tied with Sergio Aguero, so they're both sitting on 16 goals. But um, it was another one of 
Salah's third in goals. He's playing on the again the best team in the league, and and up until probably two months ago, we thought the best team in the world. Um, I, I think we're probably not feeling that in this moment anymore, or at least in the final moments that we had from this from um, a few weeks ago. We weren't feeling like it when the season got suspended, but in the end, he, he is he was still um, still one of the best. So one of the best, uh, at least goal scorers in the league. Um, so that was my reasoning for ultimately putting him in. But it was just, it was made tough because of guys like Sergio Aguero, who, you know, has never been in a Premier League team of the year. This like, that are you serious? He's never been voted into into a PFA, um, into the final PFA or writers team of the year. So it's. It's amazing. I, I agree. It's amazing. It's amazing that he that he is not, uh, and it's. I, I don't think he was going to be on track to be put in it this year either. To be honest, and, and it sucks that he I can't put him. That I ultimately can't put him in. I I, I just I, I couldn't find the argument there because it's it's really hard for me not to reward these Liverpool players. It's really hard. Um, that being said, you know, there was some outside of Aguero, you know, you had Danny Ings from Southampton, who's up to 15 goals and a guy who kind of really went on a tear the last couple months before the season actually ended and got up to that spot. You have to show some love to the pace and power God himself, Adama Traore, who these dribbling stats are this drilling set is actually ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. So, Adama Traore, in terms of dribbles per 90, 6.8. Elias, can you <laughs> guess? <laughs> I want to guess. What do you guess that second, the second place number is? So... I'm going to base that on the context that I know Messi's dribble per 90 is around that number, if not a little bit less. So it has to be like two. In se- not not too far off. In second place was Nicola Pepe at Arsenal with 3.3, right? Oh and, and, now, <laughs> and so, again, he's doubling him. And now I'd like you to guess how many failed dribbles – do you think that Nicola Pepe had? Oh, uh, 3.2? <laughs> not Again, not too far off. 2.6. But oh, Traore, Adama Traore, 1.9 failed dribbles per game. <laughs> really? I actually expect it to be a lot higher. Yeah, you would expect that for someone who attempts so many dribbles. And that, that's usually how it goes. Like... That just makes sense, right? The more dribbles you attempt, the, the the more failed attempts you should have. But just to give reference, in this top ten list, there are three other guys who are around the same failed um, attempt or amount of dribbles per ninety, which is Gerard Delafeu, who's sitting in fourth at one point nine failed dribbles per game, but two point seven actually completed. Jack Grealish, 2.6 completed dribbles, 1.7 failed. Hungman Son, 2.5 dri- uh, completed dribbles, 1.8 failed. So 
the rate of success that Adama Traore has been doing this at is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And on top of that, he's fifth, he's well, tied for second in terms of assists from the uh, attacking midfield and, and central forward position with seven. Right? And he's also sitting fourth in terms of expected assists for that position. He has just he's been, a monster. It's been a rough, yeah, it's been a revelation. He's fourth in key passes per 90. Like, like, We've we've been saying this anyway, but he this was a season he figured it out, right? He he figured out how to f- blend that mix of just raw, raw like talent with his with how strong he is and how quick he is and and how quick his feet are too for such a big for such a stocky kind of guy, right? And and the most important thing was that his decision making just got so much better. Like I, I probably have referenced this before, um, but a tweet that I had earlier in the season was, you know, before this year, Traore really was like a Ferrari without a steering wheel. Right. And then yeah, this year, and then this, out. yeah. And then this season is, it's like the steering wheel was put in and instead of a manual, he's driving uh, like an auto, an automatic. And, and it's, and it's like, everything is, just he knows what he's doing now he knows exactly what he's doing when he gets by guys now and he's and he's looking for that pass and obviously one of the guys that benefited from it the most was Raul Jimenez who as you know I've got just a a crush on in in terms of his talent you know just he he I I think he could fit in in in, yes yes just yeah just his talent I mean he's probably the only Mexican national player that I would admit that for. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, he, he's benefited from it so well too. And, and those two in general have, have played off of each other wonderfully all season. Um, Jimenez who was sitting tied for uh, sixth here in goals. He had 13 goals, but his contributions from a creation standpoint as a center forward, Really deserve a lot of love. You know, six, he's had six assists this season. Um, and then you come on to the fact that, you know, he plays that position so well. And, and, he, and he plays it so well for this league, too, for the physicality. And, and he just does everything that's, that's needed from that position. But also is just on a higher level, I think, in terms of his awareness of the attackers around him too. So uh, he has to get a lot of love as well, I think. Uh, and, and, and It's I, almost I like also, he should be playing for Atletico Madrid, but, you know, that's none of my business. Well, yeah, no, I agree. He'd be perfect. He'd be perfect for them. But um, I, I get one last person I do want to show some love to because he literally – literally broke his back to try to help his team get into the top four is uh, Marcus Rash is Marcus Rashford. Even with even being out basically the last six weeks before the season was suspended. Um, he is fourth in, uh, or sorry, fifth in, in goals for this season at 14 and he's third in expected goals too uh, that he's he's played just about 300 400 less minutes 
than the guys in the top three of, of goals. So he needs to get some credit, I think, too, for this season. Um, he was not the problem in there in, in Manchester United's attack, right? He's, he's ninth in dribbles per game, in dribbles per 90. And, you know, I, I just thought that this would have been more of a breakout season for him. And, and I think he would have been a big, big boost for, um, for England by time, by time the Euros would have happened this summer. Um, luckily for them, the, it's gotten pushed back a year. So, you know, he'll, hopefully be healthy enough for them um, for next summer. But uh, I just have to give him some credit there too. Uh, I, I think Rashford, I think it's, it's going to be easily forgotten the season that the uh, effort that he put in this season and in, in just being basically the only bright spot of Manchester United's attack until the Bruno Fernandez signing. So got to throw a shout out to him I- too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agreed 100%. I mean, I think the best part about this Premier League season is that there are actually a a really wide, diverse set of attackers to choose from, whereas I feel like the last two years that has not necessarily been the case. Um, And there have been from teams that you wouldn't necessarily pinpoint or expect. So I think this has been an extremely exciting season outside of like the top two, (laughs) quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really good point you bring up about the the forwards too. Is that um, it feels like a very diverse group of of forwards, especially in this top in the uh, top ten rankings of of the goals that were actually scored this season. You look at a guy like Jamie Vardy, who's so much different to the guys in second at Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who's who basically played as half the season kind of like an inside winger at times where where when Lacazette might have been the central forward and stuff and, and still picking up 17 goals from that spot and and I do want to say the reason that I didn't ultimately end up putting him in and, and ended up putting in a guy like Sala over him is you know I at the end of the day Arsenal is sitting <laughs> we're sitting in like ninth <laughs> like I, I know that goals I know that you know a goal is a goal is a goal whatever but like at the end of the day, like the goals that Salah was scoring just had a far more pressure than, than the goals that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang was scoring. So uh, he, I commend him for his talent and being the only reason that Arsenal were even in the top half of the table for the most part because of the goals he scored. But, you know, it, it's, I, I can't really justify putting in a player whose, whose team is sitting 10th. Or sitting in, in, I don't even know where they. I don't even know where they were at the end, to be honest. But, but <laughs> no, but like, but there's no. Um, I can't. I can't really uh, justify that pick. No, that's totally fair. I mean, there are some people in the world that are biased. I'm not going to name names, Jay, but they they absolutely would put him in. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're trying to be as objective as possible. I think you did a good job with this with this list. Thank you, thank you. I'm looking forward to your list for uh, for La Liga. But with all of that, I think we're done from the England side, and I think it might be time for a little break, don't you think, Elias? I think so. We're going to come back to you guys with a little bit of the La Liga team of the year if the season were to have ended already. So we'll be back in a little bit. Mm-hmm. 